Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that takes a look at all things marketing in the world of sports. Alongside Brian Cristiano, I'm Rob Cressy. I'd like to welcome Adam White, founder and CEO of Front Office Sports to the Sports Marketing Huddle. Adam, first off, can you give a simplified version of what Front Office Sports is? Yeah, so thanks for having me, Rob and Brian. I really appreciate it. It's great to be on. You know, I've heard some great things about the podcast and you know, it's really a pleasure to, to be on with you guys. But yeah, so for Office Sports as, as a whole uh, and what it's what it's been and the mission and the value behind it is a multi-platform uh, digital media publishing company that focuses on the intersection of the business world and sports. Uh, so we got a lot of our inspiration. Uh, I was a sport admin student going through college at the University of Miami. And while I was there, I was like, well, there's some platforms that cover this side of the industry, but there's not really one that covers it uh, in a forward-facing way, in a unique and innovative way um, that's A, either cost-effective, and B, can cover it in a way that's going to be appealable to fans and people who work in the industry and maybe students who want to be in the industry as well. So that was the whole genesis behind it. It started out as me um, basically just doing informational interviews with professionals across the country. Uh, my professors had told me, hey, you need to, you need to interview people like yourselves, uh, see how they're doing, see what they did, see how they got into the profession, uh, and kind of go from there. And I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to interview these professionals, why not publicize these interviews? Because it's a heck of a lot easier to get someone to talk to you if you're going to tell them, hey, I'm going to publish this interview and I'm going to give you some free PR versus, hey, I just want to talk to you and I may never even see you or talk to you ever again. Uh, and so I ended up doing 110 interviews in that first year, uh, basically one or two every two days. Uh, it was it was pretty crazy. And, uh, you know, once we got to the point where we got some notoriety on Twitter and we started pushing out more content and Next thing you know, here we are about three years later, and it's uh, kind of been crazy. I never would have thought the evolution was there. You know, it was first meant to be just something that got me a job. Now it could be something that hopefully we turn into a, a full-time job for many of the people involved. That's, that's amazing, Adam. I'm curious, at what point when you were doing this, you know, obviously it started as, look, I'm going to do this to try to get a job yeah. as a non-frictional way to do it, which is awesome. At what point did you realize that this could be something bigger than that? You know, I think honestly, it was probably about a year and a half in, maybe even the second year. Uh, you know, we had gotten some heavy traction. We had seen some good positive uh, feedback from the people we were interviewing, and people were wanting more. And I think at that point is, is when you really kind of see the, the opportunity to, to what we thought was just to pivot away from the interviews while still staying true to having a lot of the features on the site. Because still to this day, you know, people want to read about what other people are doing. People want to hear from industry leaders. And so still to this day, our interviews are our highest viewed and our highest, you know, desired content. But I want to say about a year and a half, two years in, we started covering some more conferences. People wanted more information. And the information we were sharing was sticking with people, right? Uh, and our newsletter began to grow. And, and then once we got to the point where we had around 5,000 followers, I was actually in uh, L.A. at the time. And we were right before uh, I was going to this the Sports Illustrated Variety Sports and Entertainment Summit last summer. And that morning, I, we had applied for Twitter verification, uh, you know, probably a week earlier. And that morning, right before that conference, we got verified. And it was so, like, perfect for us to get there, be verified at this big event, you know, headlined by Dwayne Wade, Kobe Bryant, who's who was there. Um, I, I, quite honestly, I talked my way in there. <laughs> uh, 
but that's a, that might be a story for another time. So that was good. And uh, we got there, and the Variety ended up sharing like the one tweet they shared was from us, and so that you know to their account that had a million followers or something like that. And to look back, it was like that kind of provided some quick validation. And then ever since then, it's just been continuing to press the the ball forward and and really kind of drive some innovation in the coverage of the industry uh, beyond just the normal players. So so here you are, right? You kind of fall into this a little bit, using it for one reason, then you realize this could be a business model. You're at that event. Um, you get some additional exposure, and you realize, look, this, this is going to be something. We're going to build it. Was there... At what point did you transition? Because now you're running this as a business. How do you go from I'm looking for a job to now I'm going to run this media company, this startup media company? How have you how have you bridged that gap um, by just jumping right into starting a business? Yeah, you know, I think really the honest honest truth there is that finding a way from at one point I was providing and doing a ton of the content. And at one point I had to say to myself, all right, if this is going to be something that we really want to move forward with that I need to get away from doing the content and focus more on the, the biz dev side of things, focus more on finding ways to, to find money. Obviously, as a, as a business, you need to make money to survive. And while we haven't made a ton of it, you know, by focusing away from the content and allowing other people to do it and then cherry pick accordingly or when I could, I think that was really what helped a lot, uh, you know. I that I have to thank all the contributors that we have, and the people like Russ and Jay and Austin who have led up and head up these different things. And I think really we got to the point where we're like, hey, this isn't just a blog anymore. This can be something. And we set up an organizational structure, and we had everyone kind of take on a different role that we knew would push us forward. And really, as as, as the business side of things, is focusing on ways to show people that it was a valuable and viable entity to either advertise on or to have their content on or eventually possibly even pay subscription prices for, right? And so it's it's been a learning experience. You know, I'm, I'm 22 years old. It was something that I had no idea what to do going in and I've learned and I've just kind of read and looked at something like, you know, an adage or a digiday or a drum and tried to take inspiration from all of those and really take all of that I can learn from there and what their leaders are doing. And, you know, even outside of sports, you know, you look at Politico's and Axios's and all these new media companies that you see and you just try to take, especially for me as someone who never had a background in the industry, never worked a day in the life of the industry, you know, really learning what these people were doing and how they were monetizing these channels and how they were growing them. Um, because to be quite honestly, trying to start a media company where you're not selling really anything other than viewership and eyeballs with no viewership and limited eyeballs in the early on is probably one of the hardest things you can do, especially, you know, as a college student with no capital. It's like I decided to pick the hardest thing I could do, really. So it's been fun, but it's it definitely it takes a, a shift in ideas and, and focus for sure. So, Adam, I want to hear your thoughts on the current content landscape. Traditionally, uh, bloggers or publishers are writing articles, but now we see the ability to have podcasts and yeah. live streaming and then social media. You can do short form across the board. Where's your head with all of that looking forward? Well, I think just especially in our space, uh, the big side of things is, is going to be on social. It's, it's where everything's happening. It's where a lot of the professionals in the industry are always on. Um, so I think uh, there's going to be a lot to be said and powerful there. Podcasts, as we all know, as you guys know, are still very powerful. We haven't gotten into the podcasting space just because, A, we haven't been able to really dedicate enough time to that. Uh, but I think it's it's a valuable option to have. Um, you know, And I think that the, what's the nice thing is, is that all these options allow people like us to have a niche, right? You know, there's big 
So, for example, you know, you look at your sports business journal. So they're big on the the printed publication, and while they have an online presence, it's not nearly as good as as we really think it should be. And that was some of the inspiration in terms of what we wanted to do. Uh, and so, you know, while they have their niche, you know, th- these new publication outlets like a medium, like a podcast, like a, a social media, doing the short form content, have allowed these other entities like ourselves to pop up and, and, you know, there's some other ones that you look at, you know, sponsorship space and the much more niche ones, but we have now the opportunity to do this on limited capital, right? Like that's what I was talking about earlier is that we never had any capital. We never had anything backing us beforehand. And so because of that, and because social media was free and and it allowed us to amplify our message, it gave us that platform and that channel to really go out and build that. So, you know, for us and our overall strategy, social is going to remain a big thing. Um, you know, I think, and just the online experience, I think that's the big thing too, is that if you can have a great social platform, you can have a great writers and things like that. But if your content isn't visible on mobile, if your content isn't visible and easy to read on a desktop, it's not shareable, stuff like that. I mean, it's going to get lost. You know, everyone creates great content. All these producers are doing the sports and the business side of things now because just there's such an interest in it from fans. And I think that's that's the big thing, too, is that you look at these fans and you look at people who might be in the profession and they're wanting the information more and more. So the more ways you can give it to them, whether it's a newsletter delivered to them in the morning, whether it's you know, you're looking at a, a podcast that they can listen to on their train ride in, it's just creating these touch points with them that they can use and get different value from, right? And that's what we're all big about is that I want to create different value in each way. While it's still going to be underneath the same brand, our newsletter is going to give you a different value than our social media feed is going to give you. Our on-site experience is going to give you a different value than our newsletter is going to give you. So we want people to come to all three places and still know it's the FOS brand and still know they're going to get the quality content, but also understand that it's going to be something that they're going to derive a different value from every single time in order to keep them coming back. So let's talk about the biggest challenge that any publisher is going to face. And we talked to Erica Nardini, the CEO of Barstool Sports, about this. Monetization. Uh, yeah. Everybody can create awesome content. We love creating content on social and in multiple channels there. But therein lies the rub is how do you then monetize that so that this can sustain itself? Yeah. I mean, our, our biggest challenge like I mentioned, is just the overall viewership, right? We have, luckily, we have a good niche with college students. And so we've been able to monetize through partnerships with universities who are looking to promote their undergraduate and graduate programs. Uh, But as a whole, you know, we're not producing Bleacher Report type numbers. We're not producing, um, you know, Fox Sports type numbers, any of these type numbers where these big advertisers are going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on these types of uh, ad buys. And so for us, with the monetization is we have to be really strategic with it because, A, we also don't produce enough content where it's, if our monetization and where we're looking at ad buys and stuff like that, it gets watered down is in terms of like every piece is presented by someone. You know, it's, it's not really an exclusive thing. It's not really something that provides a lot of value. So we have to be really strategic in it. And I think as a whole, uh, media companies and brands are going to have to continue to be pretty innovative in how they monetize just for the fact that, a, as someone who uses and and as, has used an ad blocker before, you know I want something that streamlines my experience, right? And so, 
for us on the site, our monetization is looking at more sponsored content where it's not like we're having banner ads that pop up. Nothing, we, we want to keep our content where nothing interferes with the experience, right? So yes, yeah, so grand, it might be like an image and a presented by link in the content, but it's very clean, it's very concise. You know, we're going to share it on social as a presented by in the, in the copy, but, you know, we don't want to interfere with the experience because as soon as someone gets a pop-up ad, and I know personally, and this may be from you guys too, it's just like, oh, well, I, I have to click out of this. Now I lost my place in the content. And there's a lot of things that you're just like, ah, now I don't even want to read it anymore. So I click out and I go to something else. Um, right. And I think that also the hardest thing is that getting these people to understand the value of putting their brand with your brand, right? And I think that's the biggest thing is, especially because you can you can say that there's X amount of impressions, but what are these impressions really from? Like you can say there's 100 million impressions on your content, but is that really the quality of impressions that you want? Like, you know, or you can say maybe there's 10,000 impressions, but those 10,000 impressions are all from C-level executives who are all making decision-making uh, decisions and are all buying things. And so when you look at that, while you may be pushing less numbers, your impressions and your viewership as a whole may be much more powerful than someone who has you know a hundred million reach uh, in terms of overall uh, ad spend. So you know I think as it becomes you know more insightful and as the data and the people who are now buying and spending on these platforms get more involved in in, in, in understanding this data and getting an idea of you know what an average video time means. Like you know a lot of things you look at, especially Facebook. You know, X amount of video views are great, but they only count like a three-second video view. So does that three-second video view really mean a lot of money for the sponsor who has their brand attached to the end of this video? So maybe no. half of those actual video views are what people see. Um, so again, I think it really comes down to being transparent uh, and knowing what these metrics really mean and then understanding those metrics and finding to be strategic in ways that you can monetize with the right partners. It all comes down to a partnership that's going to be strategically beneficial for both. And I think if you can do that and show them enough value with the right data and provide them with enough outlets to monetize, I think there's possibilities there. Um, you know, but also that's, I mean, that's just kind of the way, way of the industry. So Adam, where where does front office sports go from here? Where where do you, what do you see this as? Where are you where are you trying to build? Yeah, so I think we're really trying to build what we would consider a new age SBJ. As much as they probably don't want to hear it, um, we think that the content overall, in terms of the professional side, is is at its most necessary, and from the fan side, is at its most necessary. So we want to be kind of like the bridge the gap where. If you can be a fan of the industry and you're like a, a typical seat in your seat fan, like cheer, have no care about the tickets or whatever, but you want to know about like why your tickets cost as much or what variable ticket pricing is doing to your tickets and stuff like that. But you're also on the industry side of things and you want to know that because you want to know, hey, if the Milwaukee Bucks are using variable tickets, should we as the Carolina Panthers be using it or something like that? Uh, we want to be able to create content that A, the average fan wants to go and read and share and B, that the industry professional wants to go and read and share with their peers as well, all in a way that is easily digestible, mobile-friendly first, online-friendly first, and creates an experience that is so community-based that people are like, yeah, I really enjoy this platform because of the fact that it is this community, especially on the professional side. Now, on the fan side, eventually once we want to do is continue to build out a very active social side, graphics, video, things like that, that, that the average fan is more apt to share and get out there. Uh, and then I think once we do that, we can really see a lot of traction from where we're going. Again, I mean, three years in and, and we still have a lot of work to do and a lot of learning to do. But I think if a few of the things that we're doing go right, 
uh, I think we can be a major player eventually in this in this space that really no one has attacked except a, you know a select few people. That's awesome. Well, listen, Adam, we really appreciate it, and we wish you the best of luck. We will be paying attention, and uh, we hope that you do grow this to be something really of value and something very big. And uh, kudos to you for starting it the way that you did. I think that is awesome. We really appreciate your time on the Sports Marketing Huddle. Awesome. Yeah, guys, I really appreciate it as well. Thanks for all that you guys are doing. And you know, I think that you guys just giving people a platform to talk about what they're doing and creating additional exposure, I think is excellent. And you know, you can continue listening and following along and, and seeing what we can do from there. As always, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the Sports Marketing Huddle on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher.